Sonic Temple Art and Music Festival has arrived. Map Free Stadium, Columbus, Ohio, May 17th through the 19th with Foo Fighters. System of the Down. Disturbed. With Bring Me the Horizon. Prodigy. Ghost. Hailstorm. Lamb of God. The Cult. Andrew Dice Clay. And more. Go to SonicTempleFestival.com for everything. See ya at the temple. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast, the official podcast for MetalNexus.net, where you can get all your show reviews, concert reviews, photos, and so much more. And with me, again, back for the first time like it wasn't the first time, is Mr. Daniel Zary. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Doing well. My voice is back, so I'm ready to ready to kick it into high gear or whatever it is that the kids say now. Uh, I think the kids are talking about kickstarting their hearts after seeing that Dirt movie on Netflix recently. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen that one. That's the Motley Crue movie, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I haven't watched that one yet. What a what a hipster thing of you to say. Oh, no. I mean, I just haven't seen it, so I, I, I don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, but our guest this episode is uh, Josh Katz, the vocalist for Bad Flower, guitar player as well. Uh, we did this a couple of weeks ago, actually, and you know it's kind of funny. We have been, if uh, for those of you who haven't really been paying attention, we've been kind of branching out a little bit and doing things that aren't quite the normal, you know, metal metalcore band people. You know, with uh, you know, Michael Wilton from Queensrÿche, and uh, we have some stuff coming up. Uh, Josh Todd from Buckcherry. We got Amigo the Devil. Um, we got we got some interesting stuff up our sleeves, but this was kind of fun, you know, getting more into uh, again like the kind of active radio rock world that uh, we haven't really touched on a whole lot. And I gotta say, it was uh, a little stressful. I, I think uh, you can definitely hear in my voice in the beginning. I'm a little frazzled. Uh, everything was working fine <laughs> right before the interview, and then the publicist wants to patch me in, and then for whatever reason, the, we, they couldn't get it to work. I tried doing some stuff on my end to, to figure out if it was me, and then couldn't hear things. Then I had to like update my software, because my software decided like right then, that's when it needed to be updated. And uh, so like I was kind of falling behind on time. I'm getting emails from the publicist and trying to get phone calls from them. And I'm, like, freaking out. Like, I'm like, oh, my God, this sucks. And so when we started, I was just in, like, such a, a completely, like, off-kiltered headspace of being like, oh, fuck. Like, I, I'm, like, ten minutes behind already. And even though there's no interviews behind me, I just it kind of threw me because I was like, oh, I feel really unprofessional right now. Um, so if you if you notice a little bit of that or some of the questions seem a little weird that's that's why um can't really edit that out <laughs> john you can't disguise you can't disguise the weirdness of your questions man by trying to explain it away in the intro everybody <laughs> knows you're a weird dude come on that is true um but you know kind of speaking to, to weirdness or whatever um something we kind of touched on in this and something that you know josh actually is pretty good at uh discussing as a whole in his music and, and lyrics and other interviews is kind of his uh uh, depression and, and kind of anxiety disorder and, and kind of all of that stuff. And interestingly enough, uh, I went and saw the band a couple of uh, days after this interview and Josh makes a comment from the stage about how this might be the most sincere Bad Flower performance that he has done in a long since the record was recorded. 
And he was like, maybe I'll talk about it later on Twitter or something. And, and I think it was about a day or two that went by before he posted anything. But basically said he was having like a full-blown pan- panic attack on stage. Um, oh, and, wow. And was basically having to try to work through it as best he could. Uh, and it was really weird because like had I not done this interview beforehand, I probably would have been like, man, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? Like it just seems uh, chaotic at times. Like it, it doesn't seem like a normal – controlled performance and and that's because it wasn't and uh it definitely was interesting i it kind of makes me wonder how often i've seen a band and maybe that's something that someone's going through and i don't realize that that's what it is i just assume there's technical problems from like oh my my in-ears aren't working or my guitar is just out of tune or whatever and it's actually someone going through some real shit like on stage in front of thousands of people yeah that sounds terrifying um (laughs) but i can no, I could definitely sympathize with that, although I'm sure, you know, um, I'm sure there are people that wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Just get over it, man. Well, it definitely has me wondering how this performing in front of Sonic Temple Festival will be. I mean, potentially playing in front of the same size crowd or more. I don't know. Since I saw that and kind of just thinking about this interview since then, it's just been a thing where it's like, man, like, how do you – because, I mean, a panic attack can kind of just kind of come out of nowhere. Uh, I've only experienced one in my life, and I it sucked. <laughs> I don't, Dan, have you had, you've had one? I'm sure, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I've had quite a few um, anxiety uh, inspired. I mean, there's even been uh, there's even been podcasts that I've canceled before just because like I couldn't just whatever it is that was going on in my head. I just couldn't get past it. It really didn't even have anything to do with the performance aspect of it. You know, I do that all the time. Um, uh, but for whatever reason, just the, the day that I'd had, uh, was just the perfect cocktail of ingredients to, to make basically my, my brain and body just shut down. Definitely been there before. It's uh it's intense. I, 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 I don't really know. Like, I mean, for me, it was just a matter of like, literally having to call my parents and tell them to come drive an hour plus to come get me and take me home because at the time that's the only thing that seemingly would calm me down or it seemed like it was a, a safe space i guess for lack of a better term but uh yeah i kind of like had to go away for like a weekend like a long weekend and just kind of like rest and, and feel normal uh so i couldn't imagine if that's something one person is perpetually dealing with how you kind of get a handle on it and on top of that <laughs> how you even don't get nervous performing in front of people and, and hoping that like this thing doesn't take over you yeah that's got to be a little scary and unfortunately all that does is it just multiplies what you're going through anyway it just makes the symptoms even worse you know because you're you're adding stress onto some sort of you know like for me it's always like i'm really upset about something and have no idea that i'm like consciously upset about it and then it's not until much later that I'm like, oh, this is why I was having all these problems. But I don't realize it, you know, you don't realize it then when it's happening. It's kind of a kind of a weird thing. But yeah, it was uh, it was kind of interesting. And, and I think this this kind of interview takes a, a couple of different interesting turns on, on some things that we've not really touched on. So uh, without further ado, let's get to our conversation with Josh Katz of Bad Flower. And we will talk to you guys afterwards. I can't feel my 
I had the pleasure of talking with Josh Katz of Bad Flower, the vocalist for the band. Uh, their newest album, Okay, I'm Sick, is out now via Big Machine Records. How are you doing, Josh? I'm very good. My album is out. I, I couldn't be better. You know, it, it's kind of funny. There's a handful of things I wanted to talk about. The the record <clears throat> itself, uh, in correlation to how it was released, um, something I'm kind of a stickler for on this show is... And I don't know if oversaturization is the word I want to use, but my wife and I actually last night were talking about how it was very interesting that you guys released a single in, I think it was November of last, no, not November, I'm sorry, it was like June or July, yeah, June of last year for Ghost, for a record that didn't yeah. come out until February. <laughs> right. What was the pro What was the thought process really behind putting out a single so far in advance of, of the record? We we didn't know that that's how that was going to go down. And honestly, I don't think the label or anybody knew either. The sort of strategy in the beginning of this, because we're such a new band mm -hmm. and we you sort of don't know how things are going to stick and how people are going to react to the music because it's brand new, is put out your first single, work it as hard as you possibly can and see how it sticks. And if it seems to be going well and it's on the rise, keep it going and keep it going and keep it going and delay the album release as long as you can so you can build up um, sort of anticipation for that album release. And for us, Ghost, Ghost was so big that it, it, they just delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. And we just sort of like built this fan base and took all this time. And that's sort of why it took so long, which I, we were sort of like nervous about. We didn't really like that at the time. But now that it's all happened in this way, it makes perfect sense. And I'm so glad we waited that long. You know, it's kind of interesting. I was listening to an interview with someone... Uh, on a different podcast, and the person was like, oh, are you excited your record's out? And he goes, I was nine months ago when I handed it in. <laughs> right. Um, but, right, and, right. You know, and I think that's something that a lot of fans maybe don't understand is, you know, you, you might have new music and talk about new music or being in the recording studio, and it takes so long for everything to come out because of the, the promotional pl plan and rollout for it. And something right. that I've noticed that you guys are really good at and have done a good job with is seemingly always putting out content of different varieties. You know, like you have Heroin Live, like the live version of that uh, on YouTube, and a lot of people commenting like they like that version better than the recorded version. And I've, I've noticed that it seems like you guys have had a penchant for always kind of giving your fans something to tide them over until the next thing mm -hmm. and always being omnipresent in their in their peripherals. Yeah. Well, you know, we sort of started that way. At the beginning of the band, before we had any sort of team, we didn't have management, we didn't have a label, anything like that. We just used to make videos in our little home studio garage setup. And that was sort of like the birth of everything that happened was, you know, before we even had an EP out, we would just do sort of a shitty, record, like, you know, garage recording of a song and film the performance of it. And that, and those videos ended up like getting us our first management, getting us our first record deal and getting us all that stuff just from like this sort of DIY style of doing it. So it's kind of cool that we still, we still do stuff like that sort of between releases because it's, it's kind of like a, you know, it's a part of who we are. It's a part of our, our roots as a band and, and the rest of it. You know, something else that was, that I, I noticed as well, and it kind of made me wonder, you know, you were talking about how putting out Ghost as far back as you did kind of allowed you to, to build the band and build the fan base up and so forth. And it kind of made me wonder, too, if if that also helps transition your set, you know, going from Temper, the EP, you know, I, a trap I feel like a lot of younger bands fall into is you go see this band, they really wow you with their material, and then you come to find out everything you heard was like all new stuff, and the record you bought isn't what you heard. 
but I felt like maybe this right. is a really interesting way for you guys to kind of be ahead of that by, you know, playing the songs from Temper that are new at the time, playing them out, building your fan base, and then slowly dropping some songs and some new singles and so forth. And that also helps, you know, grow the fan base that way in your set list. Exactly right. Yeah, and a lot of the songs in the new record, uh, not a lot, but a few of the songs in the new record, we had started sort of like introducing into the set and they became... Uh, you know, people found like random fan filmed YouTube videos of them and people started to like already know the words for them before the record was out. And so that definitely helps like that amount of time and transitioning those songs and helped a lot. But even now, like now that the record is out and it's doing really well and so many people have heard it, it's only been five days, but so many people have heard it and um, and want to hear those songs. We still play like a bunch of our old stuff in the set. You know, it's still like a half and half sort of thing. So you had, uh, it's funny you actually were talking about that, you know, having songs that aren't aren't done yet i found a song yesterday and i kept looking all over for it on the radio or i'm sorry on uh, itunes and i just couldn't find it and i am did i not write that down i'll be very shocked if i didn't Um, is it one of our songs yeah no it is definitely one of your songs it wasn't the lmf is it it move me yes that was it um yeah you know i was shocked that that wasn't on anything and it makes me wonder if you know you're, you're talking about playing some of these songs and, and fans knowing them before they have a, i guess a proper release technically do you yeah. feel that that allows you to kind of shop work the songs in a live setting like maybe like oh that didn't that part didn't really go on or we you know do you can you kind of fine-tune the songs a little bit like live in a setting like that to, to when you go into the studio go like okay now we know really how to make this song really impactful that, but we didn't do that. We didn't okay. start playing those songs until they were already done. Okay. It, with the exception of our song Heroin, which is a song we've had for so many years, uh, and, and we actually have released a couple times, like studio releases, and then in some cases they've been, like the old studio releases have been pulled from the world and you can't find them anymore. Um, but that song was like a last minute request from the label. They were like, we want to put Heroin on, on the album. We think that it's a hit. We don't think it ever really had a, a shot at being a hit with your you know previous team and we, we really want that to be on there and that song had been released before and then we had also been playing it forever and so we went to the studio and by the studio i mean we we went into our home like it was a garage recording of that one song on the album mm-hmm. and uh and we banged it out in like a couple hours we just knew exactly how that song was supposed to sound it didn't take any effort because we had we had been playing it live for so long we knew exactly how it worked so that was that's that's an answer to your question is like that happened one time with one song on the album, but the rest of them that that wasn't. <laughs> with you guys being uh, fans of doing some of your songs acoustically, do you like playing around within your own songs and finding new ways to to bring them out? Do you think that's a, a fun challenge to you as a musician and as a as a lyricist, maybe to find new ways to new melodies and so forth? Definitely, yeah, it's so fun. <laughs> Um, kind of wanted to, you know, I kind of listened to a handful of interviews that you had done. Um, and something that was interesting to me is, you know, on this record, you know, you talk a lot about your anxiety and, you know, some of the issues you've kind of had over the years and so forth that have come from your like anxiety and so forth. And it kind of makes me wonder if the duality of, of writing such honest and open lyrics and performing them in front of people also kind of triggers them, triggers some of these anxieties and kind of allows you to have a very unique way of, of looking at everything from, you know, what causes everything to also realizing that you're 
you're putting yourself in these situations too and that's kind of what a lot of people who suffer from that don't really do yeah well there's that and that's a, that's a really good question because there are two sides to that there's the one side that's um so healing that i'm talking about this stuff and that our fans know that i have these issues and i don't have to hide and pretend like i don't uh it's like beautiful and it's been like hugely helpful with with the success of this band and with for myself, being able to get on stage every night, I know that people know who I am, and I don't have to go on the thought. But the other end of that is exactly right. I keep talking about it. I keep talking about depression. I keep talking about anxiety, and I'm constantly bringing this stuff back up. And I have to talk about it in interviews. And I thought, like, I cannot get away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's 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 both. You know, it's it's a positive and negative thing. I think it's positive and it is negative because even if I wasn't writing the songs about it, it would still be on my mind constantly. Right. So it doesn't really matter. Um, if if I started to get to a point where I felt like I was really starting to heal, maybe we were off tour for a while, and then I went back out on tour, and I had to bring up these emotions again and start playing these songs again, then I could see it being a problem. But I haven't I haven't been that close to healing yet, so it hasn't been an issue. You know, adversely, you speak to the fans, you know, kind of talking to you about these things, and. You know, I actually saw a comment on one of the YouTube videos where it said, you know, they you reminded them of Burt McCracken from The Used. And, yeah. you know, it was kind of funny because I, I, I kind of latched on to someone else that was sort of like a one-person separation away from uh, Burt and The Used, which was Jared Leto at times uh, from, obviously, 30 Seconds to Mars. I hear a little bit of that in your voice at times. Um, and something that kind of in thinking about that and kind of thinking about how I identified with the used and what that band meant to me as a young teenager growing out of like my adolescence into an early adulthood was kind of thinking about how, you know, you're kind of that for some people now where they're finding you, they're hearing a song like ghost and they're coming to you and telling you their own personal stories, their own struggles and so forth. And it kind of makes me wonder, does, does that, does that kind of get to you and weigh on you? Because you're, you're basically at that point almost like a cut-rate therapist, you know, where they're unloading all their baggage onto you in addition to the, your own that you already have. Yeah, it, and it does. It weighs very, very heavy, and it's very powerful, and it's another one of those things that sometimes is beautiful. You know, in, in the very beginning of this, we used to go out into the audience after every single show we would play, whether we were playing a headline show or a support show, and there maybe was, you know, 100 or 200 people there, so like pretty small crowds. And we would go out and, and talk to the crowd because that's what you do. You know, you, we're not we're not too famous for that shit. And um, and it got to the point where there were there would be lines of people. They would form their own line to talk to me, and it wasn't because Ghost was the single, and that was the song that gravitated people, and that's what sold the tickets. It wasn't like I fucking love your band, man. Sign my sign my CD, sign my thing. It was like every single person had their story to share. That was something really, really dark and horrible. And, and they wanted to tell me that the song connected with them and that it was a, a beautiful and special and emotional thing. But when it's one person after another person after another person sharing this really intense story, um, that started to, to, to weigh on me really heavy. And, and I feel like if there's any band that's going to sort of be that voice for mental health awareness, I think that we're worthy of that. Like, I don't think we, we're not the type of group to abuse that kind of power. Mm-hmm. but um, but we never really asked for it. And so we're sort of, we've sort of been thrown into that and um, and now we're trying to figure out how to navigate it and, and, and how not to let it affect us in a negative way and how to keep it all positive. And that's, that's a challenge for sure. Were you surprised at how, 
how Ghost reacted on like terrestrial radio? Yes. <laughs> Completely surprised. I, I thought that people would hate it. I argued for it not to go on the album. What did you want to be the first single? Um, if it was up to me, it would have been Promise Me. But okay. uh, I, I think everybody felt that that was a little bit... Because it's not, it's not a really good poster for the album. That song, it's, it's a lot lighter and it's a lot more sort of like early 2000s throwbacky and and it just didn't it wouldn't have made sense as the first single but i'm hoping that that ends up being the next big alternative single that comes out of us i really hope that that is it is it kind of interesting to now be in a position where you have to look at your creations as viable marketing assets like okay this we yes. go to active radio rock or alternative rock or so on and so forth and it's not just and it's not about this is a song and a collection of songs that make up an album and we are bad flower yep it's bizarre it's it's a product now it wasn't a product when it was being made at all and i think that's the sort of that's the trick to making a good album is don't think about any of that stuff when you're writing and we don't we don't care which is why the song, a song like Ghost was written, and it was only you know moments before we decided we had to make a decision on what the single was that we were sort of like, I don't think this should go on the record. I don't think this is a good idea. We shouldn't show people this. Um, that's how detached we were from the business side of things when we were writing the album, okay. which is great, which is I think that's the best way to do it. I think more bands should try that. Stop like, who cares what people are going to think? Just make something that you find important and that you think is special and that you're in love with at the time and... Uh, worry about the marketing and worry about the business side of it later. Or don't worry about it ever if you have a good record label that you trust. Like, who cares? Just let, let them have it and do whatever they want with it. Right. Um, you know, you're, you're currently on this Nothing More tour, and, I mean, it's you guys and Of Mice and Men, and you have the upcoming Shinedown tour coming shortly after that. I mean, you're on these interesting bills uh, where not any one band kind of really fits with the other, but there's just a little bit of crossover how do you like yeah. performing on these kind of shows where you're the only band that kind of sounds like you do? We're, we don't care. We love it. I think, um, yeah, honestly, any audience is a, an audience is an audience. And I think that what we do, at least from focus grouping this thing and being on so many different tours where, where we don't make sense on the tour, I think that there's going to be people in the audience that love what we do, no matter what kind of music they listen to. And so any, you know, any opportunity we have to play in front of sold out crowds, people, it's worth doing for sure. I mean, our very first tour we did was with a pop group. It didn't make any sense, but and we still made fans and, we, and it still was fruitful for us. But also yeah. I think like this tour in particular, nothing more are writing incredible lyrics. Yeah. And like, I think, I think a lot of like the creative, the creative parts of what they do and the really important parts of what they do to a lot of people are sort of, sort of overshadowed by, you know, fucking johnny's ripped and he's like putting on this amazing show and they have these awesome you know musically they're so fucking cool and they like they're so innovative and all that stuff but if you look at just the core of what that band is doing it's not really far off what we're doing like they're saying some important shit and they're doing it in a really creative really special way and yeah. uh i so i think i think we fit perfectly with them yeah it was funny i was actually going to mention how i think both you both you nothing more and shinedown actually lyrically have a lot more in common than i think a lot of people would would guess upon looking at the, the yeah tour totally and i think that's that's what people are sort of missing about what rock and roll is supposed to be it's kind of the reason we don't really care to even identify with rock we don't want to be the next big rock band we don't want to bring, bring rock back because 
the, the idea of what rock is has been so skewed to, to us and to a lot of other people. It's about your message and it's about your story and it's about having alternative opinions and it's about the lyrics and it's about the attitude. And it has nothing to do with the instrumentation. You could be a fucking rock star and not even have a guitar on stage. You could be entirely electronic and be the coolest rock group. But like people don't make that connection. People don't really realize that that's what it's supposed to be. And, um, and I think, you know, that, that's, that's what I feel about that. <laughs> uh, slowly as we're starting to wrap up now, um, you know, you guys are getting ready to play Sonic Temple Festival here soon. Um, you know, formerly Rock on the Range, what does it mean to be on, I would say, arguably one of the more prestigious rock festivals here in the U.S. or one of the bigger festivals, honestly, in the U.S. that we have? It's great. We feel very validated and very lucky to be to be able to do those things. And they're fun. You know, they, everyone always says that like when you're at a festival like that, it, it basically just becomes a sea of people and you know, you try to treat it like another show. But is there a little bit more preparation, a little fine-tuning to the set to really make the strongest presentation that you possibly can to, to win over fans that maybe aren't there to see you that are just there for the experience of being at the cool festival? Um, no, not for us. There isn't for us. Festival shows are usually like throw and go. Who cares? Just have fun kind of situations. The ones that are the high pressure ones and that we like really sort of curate are the, the club shows and the smaller shows. When it's a festival, everything goes wrong no matter what. And that's, <laughs> that's something that a lot of fans don't realize is like there's so many bands and so many crews and so much gear and so much stuff that even like the bigger bands sort of get lost in the sea of all of these people running around trying to make sure that everything is going to go right. That yeah. it's just like, we don't care. None of, honestly, I think I speak for every band when I say when, when there's a festival performance, nobody's putting any extra effort into the show. They're putting effort into just having the best fucking time possible. <laughs> Who are which you is cool, about? which is why I think, why I think festivals are so like, so great is because fans, or sorry, fans get to see bands um, in a completely different light, like not take it so seriously. Right. Who are you most looking forward to seeing at that festival that maybe you haven't seen or toured with? Joan Jett will be sick. I have not had the chance to see her yet. I'm looking forward to at least catching her. No, I haven't either. Seeing, seeing what that's like. The Fever, That'll I think, be super is, cool. is one for me that I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing a lot of... Fever 333? Yeah, seeing the shocked reactions. Oh, yeah. probably have no fucking clue what they're about to have happen to them. Yes, they're one of my favorite bands, right? if not my top favorite new band right now. Yes. Massive fan. I just watched them, and we've, we've done so many festivals with them, and we've seen so many shows, but I still went out. When we had a day off in LA, they were at the forum and I went out and saw them. Just so incredible. So political, so important right now. I just love everything that they're doing. Well, maybe that'll be a, a collaboration tour down the road, uh, you guys and them. You know, we've thought about it a lot. Our two bands don't really make a lot of sense musically, but, I, you know, and we're sort of like, you know, we bumped into each other a handful of times and we're fans of each other's work. So like we're, we've become friends, friends-ish, and I think like it would be a really fun tour. I just don't know. I don't know. We're still thinking about that. It would <laughs> it would be a really fun thing to do, but I don't know if it makes sense. Yeah, some of the best tours don't make sense. True. On paper. Uh, lastly, uh, you know, I know the record's already done, but it, like I said kind of earlier, it seems like you guys are always putting out content and material. Have you guys already started working on some new songs for whatever the next? batch of songs maybe or an ep or whatever nope no not at all not even like the slightest bit once we're done writing uh we're in tour mode and we're in like press mode and, and there's nothing nothing creative happening at all <laughs> 
but we have some like we've got like video content and stuff that we've been sitting on so there's going to be some things put out um but no yeah the, the next record isn't going to it's it, it, there's nothing it's blank <laughs> okay and uh lastly where can people find you and the band online online google it come on now nobody's typing urls anymore just google bad flower you'll find all their stuff fair enough i'll make sure to at least include the urls in case people are too lazy to google Oh, goodness. I don't even know what they are. We're at Badflower Music on Instagram, mm-hmm. at Badflower on Twitter and mm-hmm. Facebook. I have no idea. We are Badflower. Probably at We Are Badflower. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> and then you are simply at uh, Badflower Josh, if people would like to follow you. That's correct. Across all of my socials. Yep. Well, Josh, thanks again for taking the time to uh, talk to us, and uh, very much looking forward to catching you guys uh, in about a week here in Grand Rapids and uh, at the absolute worst at Sonic Temple. Sounds good. So that was my conversation with Josh Katz, vocalist and guitar player for Bad Flower. Dan couldn't be there, and I know that uh, he also doesn't listen to a whole lot of radio, very much like myself, so I don't even know if you really were too familiar with this band prior to the interview. So what did you think of the interview, and, and what have, you, uh, have you gone and listened to the band at all since? I definitely enjoyed the interview more than I enjoyed the band, um, which is actually a good thing because that's how they get you. Um, no, I, I, I really uh, I related to a lot of his his uh, mental health issues, and they're not really mental health issues. And we all we all deal with um, with depression and anxiety and 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 that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, it sounds like he's dealing with it on a, on a much larger scale than I think the everyday person does. Uh, so, so that stuff I definitely related to, um, I would say musically, it's not really my thing. Um, I don't think it's bad. I think it sounds like something I would have heard on the radio in, in the early nineties, which, you know, it's probably the whole point. Um, but I mean, I, you know, uh, I think that, uh, these guys have a potential to be a pretty big band. Well, I mean, the fact that they're they're already kind of, you know, on that Nothing More tour, they're the second of four, and, you know, they're playing... Yeah. Uh, they're actually coming back around this way in a couple of, uh, I think about a month and a half or so, on a headlining run, and it seems like a lot of those shows are it, right out the gates doing fairly well, and so it seems like, you know, we're kind of catching this band, like, you know, in that stride of, uh, you know, kind of growing their band and their brand, and, and kind of slowly becoming that next uh, that next big band that you hear of from from the radio. Which, you know, like I said, it's not a realm that we're typically in here on the podcast. And when we sometimes talk to bands that have a little bit of radio success, it's not really what defines their career. You know, either they have had a long lasting career ahead of time, and they just happen to have a single that kind of hit. Or you know whatever. So I mean, it's kind of it's kind of the fun thing I think about doing this and paying attention to some of these bands after the fact of doing the interviews is just kind of seeing where they continue to grow from there. Um, you know, like we have a upcoming episode with uh, from Ashes to New, and I saw those guys probably three years ago or so, uh, opening for Five Finger Death Punch on a like a at a casino like in front of thousands and thousands of people. And I remember kind of being like, huh, this, this is an interesting band, kind of a throwback new metal kind of sounding band, uh, which at the time was that was just kind of sort of becoming a thing people were starting to do again. And right. it was one of those where I was like, huh. And then ever since seeing them, it's like, oh, I started seeing their name on a lot of tours. They were starting to get on like, you know, Papa Roach and a couple other like decent tours being, you know, like that first band on these these big bigger tours. And now here they are, you know, they're the direct support for Ice Nine Kills on this headlining run. Uh, I mean, it's basically a co-headlining run. I think they both play about an hour set. Um, 
and you know like as soon as that this tour is done they basically absolve the or the tour basically be, goes into and becomes part of another package with falling in reverse ice nine kills and them and new year's day i believe and it's one of those things where it's just like you know it's crazy to a band i saw opening a show in you know bright in broad daylight and now they're you know, getting on as some of these really big package tours and so forth, and making a big name for themselves on radio and Octane and all that kind of stuff. This is really interesting to see how far they've come in such a short amount of time. And I feel like Bad Flowers basically poised to do the same thing, albeit in an another kind of subset of of the you know radio rock kind of world. I thought it was really cool or interesting how he was saying about festivals. You know that like it's really just a time for the band to party and have fun. And I had never really thought about it that way before. Um, I always just kind of assumed festivals were like some huge deal, but according to him, it's like, dude, if you take everything too seriously, you're just going to get mad because things are going to go wrong pretty much no matter what. Well, that so. was, that was kind of interesting too, because I, and for those who maybe aren't familiar with the, the term throw and go, uh, basically that means like you just throw all your shit on a stage and go. It literally is exactly what it sounds like, but it's a term that I don't think a lot of people have heard people talk about uh, on this show anyway. But what was kind of interesting about that to me is that was sort of, and I almost wanted to ask the question again because that's exactly what I was talking about when I asked, like, does he get nervous? Is because it's not like a normal show where everyone other than maybe the headliner gets to set everything up, gets a sound check. It literally is, okay, here's all your shit, throw it on the stage. Maybe you do a quick like five-minute line check. And now you're going, you're playing, and whatever it sounds like is what you're going to get and everyone is going to hear. And to me, that would be super nerve-wracking because it's like you're on a way bigger scale, and for a lot of a lot of people, this is going to be their first time seeing. Right. I'd be nervous, but that's just me. I mean, I've never played a festival before. so Well, actually, that's not true. I have, but it wasn't like – I played a Cornerstone Festival on like a, a – um, was no it wasn't a generator stage it was an actual stage but it wasn't like main stage cornerstone where there were like thousands of people you know some would say that ups your uh, your credibility though that the fact that you didn't you know play in front of all the the mainstream people uh, yeah i mean that's that's why i'm currently rich um and and my band is very notable and why our podcast has millions of listeners due to the fame of that band so yeah i mean for sure <laughs> so much credibility you know, it's a weird thing about credibility, and I, I really hope that a guest on this podcast says it at some point. Yeah, the weird thing is, man, credibility does not pay the bills. I, uh... <laughs> yeah, maybe someday someone will actually say that. You know, actually, I will say this. Uh, we've we've been very fortunate, and uh, over the last handful of interviews that are, are are out, and the ones that are upcoming, and I. F- it's just really weird because, like, I think, you know, Dan has commented on this quite a bit, and I think it was pretty prevalent in this interview, too. We've been kind of really looking out with a lot of people being really honest about things. Like, when we ask them kind of really hard to talk about issues or subjects, you know, there could be a canned answer, and a lot of people could just be like, oh, well, yeah, you know, uh, this thing. And no one would fault them. It would probably sound like a really nice, thought-out answer. But the fact that everyone's actually answering some of these things and, and not giving me a canned answer or us a canned answer and being really raw and honest about it is so refreshing. And man, like there's some stuff that we're kind of hitting on in some of these things that are kind of, uh, you know, serious topics. So it's like, I wouldn't fault anyone for just kind of skirting around the issue. And uh, it's, I think it's pretty cool, you know, that we're 
having that kind of uh, we're having those kind of conversations. Well, I think that's just the main difference between having a conversation and having an interview. You know, an interview just sounds so formal. When somebody says interview, like even now, I whenever somebody says the word interview, I immediately think like suit and tie, sit down, try to impress somebody. Uh, and I feel like what we do is much more um, conversational, like just two friends meeting up that I haven't talked in a while. Um, and I, I think that is where that honesty comes from is just like this general idea of we're talking to a human being. I realize doing this, doing this chat isn't going to like skyrocket my album sales or it's not going to, you know, maybe the best thing that we can hope to get out of it is just having a good conversation with somebody that you trust. Speaking of things that you can trust, uh, if you would like to keep up with uh, the band on the internet, which is always a trustworthy place to be, you can find them on Facebook at We Are Bad Flower, Instagram at Bad Flower Music, and Twitter at Bad Flower, or find everything under the uh, badflower.com banner. And uh, if you'd like to keep up with Josh, you can find him on Instagram and Twitter, simply at Bad Flower Josh. Metal Nexus, you can find them at MetalNexus.net, Facebook at Metal Nexus, Instagram at Metal.Nexus, and Twitter at Metal underscore Nexus. And Dan's going to tell you where he can be found so you can keep up with all of his uh, sicknesses and, and, and all those kinds of things. Yeah, you know, I'm not really at the point where I'm like showing pictures of snot rags, but if people pay me on Patreon to do so, I'll do that. Uh, but no, you can find me regularly on Facebook under Daniel Terry. You can find me on Twitter at Discuss Metal Dan, and you can find out information about my other podcast, Discography Discussion, at DiscussMetal.com. If you'd like to keep up with all things this podcast, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all simply at Pod. Email us at BrutallySpeaking at gmail.com. And if you would like to be a show sponsor, email us. And speaking of show sponsors, you can keep up with our show sponsor, The Bean Bastard, at TheBeanBastard.com. Facebook and Instagram are simply The Bean Bastard. And uh, we don't really have much to talk about in the way of drinking. I had a on-draft uh, version of this year's KBS from Founders. Uh, it's pretty good. I think it's better than the last uh, year or so, uh, personally. But uh, I don't know. I, I kind of made a post about it. I think the bubbles kind of burst on it. And uh, you can find it anywhere. So if uh, you like KBS and you think it's worth all the hype, uh, let us know. I personally just thought it was an okay beer, but not one worth $25 for a single bottle of it. And uh, on that note, for the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John. And I am Dan. And we will talk to you all next time.